Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Kayla. And uh, we'll try to keep you updated just on kind of our church's involvement, on updates from our ministry partners in that region as this uh, story continues to unfold. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to join with me in turning to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. And uh, even as we are turning there, let me just also give you another kind of local update for us. If you're Keeping up with the COVID situation, we, we're grateful that it's improved in our area and with kind of the changing dynamics, uh, we're making one change to our COVID policy and that is starting next week, our nine o'clock service will be mask optional. That had been mask required, but uh, really starting next Sunday, all of our services then will be mask optional. So I just wanted to make you aware of that. As we come to Matthew 15, uh, we're continuing this journey through the life of Jesus. Uh, It's called Love This Book, as we're going through different parts of the Bible. And as we come to Matthew 15, I want to ask you a question. Do do you live life as an adventure? Now, I don't necessarily mean, you know, are you going to be one of those people that goes out and, you know, goes bungee jumping on your 70th birthday or something like that. I really, you know, that's not all of us. I have a couple of kids that are like that, and I'm not sure where those genes came from. But uh, I, what I mean by that, that idea of adventure is this. Are, are you someone who's open to the reality that at every season of life, there are things for us to learn, there are ways for us to grow? If you're a follower of Christ, are, are you open to the reality that really he's, he's brought us into an adventure of following him? And with that, as part of that journey of following him, there, there are things that we continue to learn and ways we're to continue to grow in every season of life as, as the circumstances of our lives change. I ask you that because this morning, as we continue following Jesus through his public ministry, uh, Jesus is going to take his disciples on a road trip. He's going to take his disciples on an adventure. And, and part of the purpose of this adventure, as we look at one particular scene, is, is for the people in this scene to be stretched, to grow in different ways. And even as we see the people in the scene being stretched, I think there are lessons for us as well. In fact, you may find yourself being stretched a little bit this morning by Jesus as we go through this passage. So let's now come to Matthew chapter 15. Now you need to understand up to this point, most of Jesus' public ministry has been concentrated in this area of of villages, primarily fishing-related villages on the northwestern coast of the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't a particularly large area. I mean, he's always on the move. He's basically in Capernaum along the coast, but he's moving from village in his public ministry. But it's not not a large area. It would be like saying Jesus was on the move from from Hershey to Hummelstown, maybe even as far as Palmyra. But we come to Matthew 15, and now Jesus takes his disciples on a much longer road trip. So let's look at Matthew 15, beginning in verse 21. Leaving that place, that is, along the Sea of Galilee, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Now, to help you understand the geography, look with me at this map. By the way, this is a map you will find in our devotional guide that we've been making available throughout this series. If you're new or newer to this series, let me encourage you to pick one up on your way out. We still have copies available. Now, 
let's get our bearings here. As I said, most of Jesus' public ministry, if you see that Sea of Galilee, kind of in the lower quadrant of the map, and right at the top is Capernaum. That's really where so much of Jesus' public ministry took place. And, but now he's going to take his disciples all the way up to Tyre. It's arguably roughly a 70-mile journey, so this is multiple days. Furthermore, once they leave Tyre, they're eventually going to make their way back around almost to the, basically to the lower right corner of this map, to that area called the Decapolis, that is the Ten Cities. And uh, what's interesting about both of these locations, when he goes up into Tyre, then when he moves to the eastern shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is taking his disciples into predominantly Gentile territory. In fact, interestingly, when Jesus gets to the Decapolis, this is where he performs that miracle we sometimes refer to as the feeding of the 4,000. Maybe at some point you've wondered about why, you know, they got these two miracles that seem so much alike, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. Some have even argued that these are just different versions of the same event. But what is significant is that one takes place in Jewish territory, another takes place in Gentile territory. And this becomes an early lesson for these Jewish disciples of Jesus that ultimately Jesus' mission, his ministry is going to move beyond their comfort zone. It's going to move beyond their people group in some rather dramatic way. So Jesus now takes his disciples uh, into Gentile territory toward the city of Tyre. And among other things, it it appears that part of the reason Jesus is going here is he's trying to get away from the crowds. I mean, his ministry in that little confined area is drawing so many people. He can't, there's just very little room for privacy. So he's taking his disciples to get away. In fact, Matthew says he withdrew. You know, we're trying to get away from the crowds, and, and arguably part of the reason is so that he can have more time investing directly into his disciples. But the truth is, stories about Jesus had already spread into this region. Stories about who Jesus was, what he was doing, would would, have just followed natural trade routes and commerce routes. And so he just can't fully get away anywhere. And so this woman comes up to him, asking him to cast a demon out of her daughter. Now, what I want to do is, let's just take a few moments, let's, let's enter into this scene, but what I want to do is I want to look at the scene from different angles. And as we look at this scene from different angles, from different perspectives, let's see how, how Jesus is going to stretch and challenge all of the people involved in this scene. So let's begin by looking at this scene from the perspective of the disciples. So we continue in verse 23. Right, this woman comes up to him and she's uh, begging him to cast the demon out of her child. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. And I think in some sense he's, he's answering them as they raise their concerns. Now, as you, look at this, as you look at this story from the perspective of the disciples, I think it's important to understand that the disciples really are annoyed at this moment. 
Now, they've witnessed, right? They've already witnessed Jesus heal other people. They've already witnessed Jesus intervene in situations just like this. But in this case, they say, send her away. Uh, we, we, we want her out. They were annoyed with her. And I think they were annoyed for a couple of reasons. First of all, they were, they were annoyed because of who she was. Interestingly, uh, Mark records this story as well. And in describing the woman, Mark says she was Greek, which may be a clue that she came from a more affluent family. But Mark also says she was, she was born, she was from the region of Syrian Phoenicia, which would be the natural way to describe the region around Tyre. But Matthew, Matthew doesn't describe her this way. Matthew says this, she was a Canaanite. Now, that, that should draw our attention for this reason. In the first century, that simply was a term that was really no longer used. Right? If you're familiar with the Old Testament, if you're familiar with the story of Israel, their movement into the land of Canaan, all the issues with the Canaanites, you're familiar with that term. But by the first century, that was a term that is no longer in use. Matthew is, is using a term that we might call antiquated, out of date. So why? Well, yes, it was a term that was out of date, but it was also, right, it was a term that carried, carried a certain kind of memory, carried certain associations, right? So, for instance, uh, suppose I met someone from England, from the United Kingdom, and I looked at them and go, oh, you're a red coat. Probably not the best way to respond, right? But now, that's not a term we use, right? It's a, in some ways, it's an out-of-date term, but for all of us, when, when I use that term, right, it, it brings to memory certain things about our country's past, and the fact we won and they didn't, right? So, um, and in a similar way, here's what I think Matthew is getting at. Matthew is getting to the reality that as these disciples look at this woman, What they see in this woman is everything that was wrong about their nation's past. Right? I mean, why why had Israel gone off the rails? Why had Israel in its history ultimately gone into exile and experienced foreign domination? Because they'd been influenced by the Canaanites. They'd been influenced by... Canaanite idolatry. They had started worshiping foreign gods. And so the disciples look at this woman and and she represents everything that's wrong from our past. She is the ultimate outsider. Right? She represents those people who are the source of everything that's gone wrong in our nation's history. And furthermore, the the tension that the disciples felt, it wasn't simply about past history. It was about their current reality as well. Because you need to understand Tyre, where she was from, was, was a very affluent city. A city where people bought agricultural products from northern Galilee. And in times of crisis, Tyre had the financial leverage to buy up the wheat crop 
even if that meant the locals in Galilee might have to deal with food shortages. And that may have already been the experience of some of these disciples. So when the disciples look at this woman, she's one of those people, those other people, those people that are the part of the problem of our nation's history. Our world would be a much better place if it weren't for those people. So I think they're annoyed because of who she is. I think it's possible that they're also, I think it's possible they're also annoyed and frustrated because of what she says. Remember, now she comes to Jesus, Lord, Son of David. And at first glance, that, that, that seems to be, you know, those, that's a statement of great respect. But we have to ask ourselves, did she really know what that meant? Did she really understand the concept of, of son of David in any, in any depth or dimension? And I think the truth is probably not. Most likely, as the stories of Jesus, right, had kind of thread, uh, worked their way through different communication channels, she had heard this title as well. And so she comes and she calls him the son of David, but I don't think she fully understood what she was saying. Yet for the disciples, son of David was a particular reference rooted deeply in their history. A reference to the coming Messiah, right? Who would restore the line and the rule of David. Likewise, the son of David was the one who was coming to deliver Israel from foreign domination, from Gentile occupation. The son of David is the one who has come to deliver us from people like you. How dare you use that title? So here's the, this woman, and the disciples look at her. And all they see is what's wrong with the world. They listen to her, and all they hear is someone who doesn't know what she's saying. And so they say, send her away. Send her away, Jesus. And to some extent, Jesus seems to acknowledge their concerns by saying to them, well, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Yet as the story unfolds, he will ultimately grant her request and commend her faith. And here's what you need to see. All along along the way, the disciples are being stretched. They're being challenged to grow, right? This is part of this adventure of following Jesus, and they're experiencing that adventure right now. They're being challenged to understand that ultimately Jesus' ministry, his work, will, will move beyond their community, their group of people, to impact others as well. He is coming as king. He is coming as savior of the world. And that has, that has a message for all people. So just let, let this sink in for a moment. Because as it turns out, this is, a, this is a lesson. It's going to take time for the disciples to get this lesson. I mean, as, as we follow the storyline of Jesus in his own life, there will be other moments where Jesus is stretching them to see the long-term implications of his ministry. Then we get to the book of Acts, and it becomes clear this is an ongoing lesson that can be hard to learn, the lesson that Jesus' work ultimately has implications for people beyond our group as well. And I think just as this is a lesson for the disciples, it's a, it's a lesson for us. 
Because you see, for those of us who are followers of Christ, I think we can do the same thing the disciples did, right? We can put people or groups of people in that box and just label it other. And we put them in the box, and at some level we simply think, you know, the world, the world would be a better place without them. Yet even as these disciples were being stretched and challenged, so I think through this story, you and I are being stretched and challenged to understand that God, God can be at work in that group as well. And so we need to be open to that. Now we can stop here, right? We can stop here and just conclude with the idea that we need to understand as followers of Christ that the the work of Christ crosses all sorts of boundaries and barriers. Social, racial, cultural, economic. And we could stop and just acknowledge as individuals and as a church community, we've been called to be a part of this bigger mission, right? This is, this is one of the reasons why as a church we seek to be involved in other parts of the world. Why, one of the reasons why even this morning in a concrete way we, we wanted to keep you updated on our, our ministry, our ministry partners in the region of the world around Ukraine because we've been called into this bigger story that moves across all of these boundaries. We could stop and this point and just recognize that point. But if we stopped here, we're missing part of the story. Because I think not only do we need to look at this story from the perspective of the disciples, we also need to look at this story from the perspective of the woman. (laughs) But this is is where the story becomes uncomfortable. And uh, maybe hard to read. Because from her perspective, it it can seem like in the course of this conversation, Jesus was a jerk. So let's look at this from the woman's perspective and continue reading verses 25 and following. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. (laughs) Now, did did Jesus just call this woman a dog? Let's be honest. Doesn't this conversation seem dismissive, degrading? And rude. And particularly now in a cultural moment where we find this kind of interaction very troubling. What's going on here? Now I realize maybe she's been very persistent. But you know some of you are parents. And if you're a parent. Hasn't there been at least one time in your life where you have found yourself advocating for your child? In a school setting in a relational setting, in a medical setting. Maybe you went over the top a little bit, but this this is your child. Maybe she's been annoying and pushy and she's followed them around. I don't know, but she's advocating for her daughter. And then Jesus has this kind of conversation. 
So what's going on here? Why, why is this so different, say, than Jesus' interaction with the woman at the Samaritan well in John chapter 4? This just seems wrong. Well, there is an edge to this conversation, and I, I don't think we should dismiss that. Yet before we simply say Jesus, Jesus was having a bad day, I, I think let's try to understand what he was doing here. Because even, even as he is stretching and challenging the disciples, I think he is stretching and challenging this woman as well. And he does this in the, in the course of the conversation. And I realize it is natural to read this simply as an insult. But I think given Jesus' other conversations, given how we know other things about Jesus, it is best to see what's going on here as a very short parable. Remember, we talked about Jesus as a storyteller, and we talked about how in conversations and teachings he would often use stories, and, and he would engage people with stories. And part of the reason he did that was to help us see the big picture and to invite us into the story. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. You see, he gives a simple scene in his response that implies a story. It's a family eating at a table and the children eat first. In fact, Mark includes this line, first let the children eat all they want. They are fed before the household pets, and, and arguably the term Jesus uses for dogs refers to a family animal. And so what's really being communicated here is an issue of priority. Who is fed first? And I think what Jesus is challenging this woman to see is this. She's challenging him to see that his work is part of a much bigger plan. You see, he's he's not simply a traveling healer, a traveling exorcist, exorcist who can perform miracles on command. He's coming as the promised Messiah. He's coming to fulfill the promises made to Israel. And in fulfilling those promises made to Israel, his work will ultimately impact the whole world. But there is an order to his work, as the New Testament teaches, right? He comes to the Jew first and then the Gentile. That's kind of an acknowledgement of the progression in Jesus' public ministry. It's like he's saying to her, look, I know you're from Tyre. And I know you're getting, you're accustomed to getting fed first, even at the expense of those farmers in Galilee. But I'm not a, simply a wandering miracle worker who's here to make your circumstances better. I'm part of a much bigger plan. A bigger plan that brings people back into relationship with God. And I don't simply do miracles. I am the Messiah. So, So through this parable, Jesus is inviting her in to see the bigger plan. But notice this. This is where I think this story gets really interesting. In some sense, she gets what Jesus is doing. In some sense, she gets what Jesus is saying. He tells her a parable, and then she engages him from within the parable. Interestingly, in other situations, sometimes with his disciples, it's clear people aren't getting the parables and they need further explanation. But she gets it. 
It's like she says, okay, look, I get it. I know there's an order. I know there's an order to your plan, and you're part of a much bigger story. But even the dogs get the crumbs from the table. Now notice this. She's, she's not put off by Jesus' parable. She doesn't insist on her social standing and simply walk away insulted. Instead, she engages the story. And she appeals within the story to the fact that the master would have ensured that everyone, including the pets, were fed. And Jesus looks at her and says, you have great faith. Your request has been granted. So I think even even as the disciples are being stretched and challenged in the scene, this woman is being stretched and challenged to understand Jesus within the bigger reality of the plan that he is a part of. And as we think about how she is kind of being stretched and challenged, her interaction with Jesus, I think, leads to two questions that that can be helpful for us as well. First of all, I think as we look at how Jesus is challenging and stretching her, I think a natural question is this. Do I see Jesus' plan, not just his power? Do I see Jesus' plan, not just his power? I think, again, right, this... (laughs) <laughs> this conversation feel, feels jagged and ragged, but I think part of the reason Jesus engages her this way is that she needs to see Jesus' plan, not just his ability to do miracles. Right? He hasn't simply come to provide moments of miraculous relief. He's come to restore us from the inside out. He's come to provide forgiveness, renewal, and restoration, to take the penalty for our sin and to restore our relationship with God. So do I see the plan, not just the power? Thirteen years ago, Christian Smith, who is a sociologist at the University of Notre Dame, published a very influential research report along with his research team on the nature of religious beliefs in America. And one of his conclusions was this, that for many in our country, Here's what we mean when we talk about God. When we talk about God, for many, here's what we mean. It's, it's the idea that, you know what, God is out there, and he wants us to live a moral life. He wants us to keep the rules. But he doesn't have to be a part of our lives on an everyday basis. However, if we, if we get into trouble, and if we've been trying to do the right thing, then hopefully he will intervene and help us out. That's the way many people think about God. But, but that's not the, the God of Scripture. And if your approach to God is simply, you know, I'll do life on my own, but if I ever get into stuck in an emergency, I'll dial 911. If that's your approach to God, to Christ, Jesus wants you to know that's not the nature of life in his kingdom. You're being called into an ongoing relationship, an ongoing journey. He's not a genie in the bottle that you only summon in emergencies. So the question is, do do I see the plan, not just the power? And secondly, do I see the posture that's part of his plan? Once again, remember, the woman doesn't get upset. She's not put off by this parable. Instead, she appeals to him within the parable, and I think is ultimately appealing on the basis of the master's mercy. 
What she's doing, she's assuming a posture of dependence. Now hear me clearly, it's a posture of dependence, but it's not passive. I mean, if anything, the woman is tremendously active in this scene. She's absolutely persistent. But it's, it's a posture of, of dependence, not a posture of control, of power. It's a posture of trust. A posture, I think, that is ultimately shaped and defined by the reality of God's mercy and his goodness. As the scene unfolds, I can't help but think about uh, a prayer written by the Apostle Paul a generation later to these early followers of Christ. It's recorded in Ephesians chapter 3, and in that prayer he says, I'm praying that you would grow deeper in your understanding of God's love. And he's, he's praying in those terms because he understands, look, if you're going to grow in this journey of following Jesus, if you're going to continue to move forward in this journey of faith, you need to be rooted in the reality of God's goodness his mercy, his grace, his love. And ultimately, the woman is appealing to Jesus, not out of her own strength, but out of his. It's a posture of dependence. It's it's a posture of trust. And, and as I develop this kind of posture in kind of how I think about my life, how I approach my responsibilities, my work, my family, other things, as I develop this posture in how I engage God, I think it will protect me from two ways that, can, that I can kind of go off the rails in, in my relationship with God. First of all, this, this posture will, will protect me from arrogance and pride, right? I mean, I, I can go through seasons or... A season where it's like, you know, th- life's just going really well and things are just falling into place. And it's like, it feels like at times you're going from one strength to the other. And, and in that course of that journey, at times, maybe as a follower of Christ, you get more and more convinced that, well, look at, look at how well I'm doing. Look at what I'm achieving. And as, as, the, <laughs> as the arrogance increases, the posture of dependence melts away. And maybe as the arrogance increases, it just kind of becomes more natural just to assume, you know, I can really just do this on my own. And slowly I I kind of drift off the path of following Jesus with a posture of trust. But this posture of trust can, can really also, I think, help prevent me from kind of getting off the path on the other side. That is, it, it can protect me from getting stuck in, in places of, of failure places of unworthiness. Those moments where maybe life hasn't gone so well and part of it's my fault. That moment where, you know, I look back even over the craziness of the last couple of years and think, well, I could have handled this better or I made some poor decisions and I'm now having to deal with the ramifications. And the sense of guilt, the sense of personal frustration, the sense of failure just pile on and the tapes in the back of my head continue to roll. You messed up, you messed up, you messed up. And in the midst of that unworthiness, it's why, why even try to get back on the path? Why even pursue God? Because that's just going to remind me more and more of my failure. But what, what if in the midst of that, I recognize that ultimately my, my relationship with God is not grounded on what well I've done during the last season. It's grounded in what he has done. And my appeal to him is not based 
on my goodness, but his. What, what if I approach God that way? It, it, would, it would change things. And, and what you discover is that this, this posture of dependence, of active dependence and trust, I think it produces a freedom in how I engage life, how I engage others, how I engage God. Because this posture reminds me in an ongoing way that that my life is is actually rooted in his character, in his goodness, in the work of the gospel, in his grace. And there's just a freedom that comes with that. Now, a moment ago, I asked you, you know, are you a person of adventure? And by that, I mean, do do you recognize that in all of the seasons of life, there's still lessons for us to learn. There are ways for us to grow. And in asking you that question, are there particular lessons you need to learn from this adventure involving Jesus and his disciples? Maybe you're here this morning and... You know, it's like I, you, you understand the reality of who God is and the work of Christ, but you, you have yet to follow the journey, to start the journey, to cross the line of putting your faith, your trust in him. Maybe the truth is you kind of fall into the category of those people. You, you believe in God and you're trying to do the right thing, but, but for you, life is really just more of a do-it-yourself project, and if, you know, if, if I get into really deep trouble, that's when I'll call 911. But I think this morning, Jesus wants you to see what he wanted the woman to see. Don't just look at the power, look at the plan. Look at the reality that he's inviting you into a relationship, a relationship where you can experience his forgiveness, his renewal, and his transforming work. And even at the close of the service, we're going to have members of our prayer team here. We'd love to talk with you, to pray with you, and, and help you understand what this journey can look like. Maybe, maybe you're here and, and you've been a follower of Jesus for many years, for decades, but I think there, there are ongoing lessons for us to learn in this story as well. Ongoing ways for us to be stretched by this experience. Among other things, this is a reminder to us that we've been called into this bigger story that crosses all sorts of boundaries. And in different ways, God gives us opportunities to be a part of that. And even in your life right now, there may be ways that God is giving you opportunities to be that person that crosses certain boundaries in the life of another person to live out the love of Jesus Christ. Likewise, maybe the lesson for you as a follower of Christ is just a reminder that this ongoing journey is a journey in which we adopt a posture of active dependence, a posture of trust. So this this is the reality for us, that as we're studying the journey of Jesus, we We're invited to join him on that journey. And it's a journey where we will be stretched and challenged to grow all along the way. With that in mind, let's pray together. 
So gracious God, we come to this story, which frankly, in some ways, is shocking and jagged to read. It's a story that uh, we don't always, I think, fully understand why the conversation unfolds exactly the way it does. But, but the reality is it's, it's a scene where, in different ways, all the people in this moment are being stretched and challenged to grow. And Father, even as that was true thousands of years ago, I think that's true today as we encounter this scene in Scripture. And so I pray that we will be open to your stretching work. I pray for those, perhaps, who are here this morning that in some sense have had an understanding of Jesus, maybe they've spent time in church, but they've yet to cross the line of putting their faith and trust in him. And I pray that that they would see in this woman an example of what that can look like. I pray for those of us that have started this journey, that that the lessons, just the ongoing reality of the way your gospel moves out in different ways to different groups, and we're called to be a part of that. I pray that we would be open to that and what that can look like in our lives. So, Father, may we recognize that this journey of following Jesus is a journey where we will be stretched and challenged all along the way. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to invite members of our prayer team to be up front, and we'd love to pray with you as you go, anything that we can pray with you about. And, And now as you go, keep this in mind, that Jesus is inviting us to journey with him, and it is a journey of adventure all along the way. Amen.